You're one. <laughs> That's all. Try it again. <laughs> of the Garland Gab. Um, today we are going to be honoring her on the, um, the day of her passing over. Um, June 22nd, she has now been gone 52 years and we couldn't think of a better way to honor her than with a podcast <laughs> dedicated to all the reasons we love Judy Garland. So today joining us, we have two very, very special guests. We have Paul Walsh. Uh, he has been a Judy Garland and classic Hollywood fan for over 20 years. And he is the host of the Valley of the Dolls podcast, which focuses on specific periods, films, or mediums of work of a classic film actress. There are a number of Judy-related podcasts, uh, such as Judy Garland on TV, the films of Judy Garland, and Mickey Rooney, plus a mini episode on Judy's 1943 film, Presenting Lily Mars. His YouTube channel is also a growing collection of rare material. I will post a link to your YouTube channel in our description as well. Say hello, Paul. <laughs> oh. <laughs> and we also have Ben joining us today. Ben is 30 years old and living in London, uh, but from the north of England. Ben has been a Judy Garland fan for 26 years. He has uh, more recently appeared as a guest host on the Valley of the Dolls podcast. We're doing a mishmash here today <laughs> where he discussed Judy's illustrious television career and the movies of Garland and Rooney. Before becoming a nurse, Ben trained as a journalist where he produced numerous projects on Judy, including a radio program for kids and an interview with Garland biographer and our friend John Fricke to promote his latest book. So welcome, Ben. Say hello. Hello, everyone. And of course, we have the beautiful Miss Sarah Westhead. Uh, everybody knows her now. <laughs> and Connor Grant. And of course, myself, Carly Jade. So today we are going to, I guess, I mean, I don't really have a script for us today. We're kind of just going to go off on a, on a little bit of a tangent. But I thought it might be fun for us to, <clears throat> to share with everybody sort of our 
own personal Judy journeys and sort of how we became as involved with her as we are today. Uh, so maybe I'll start. I'd like to start with our guest, if I can. Uh, Paul or Ben, one of you two, take us away. <laughs> go on, Paul. <laughs> no, you start. I mean, look, I, it's, it's super cliche. I mean, I discovered Judy Garland with The Wizard of Oz, and I think that's pretty much how everybody discovered her. Um, there's certain films that were a rite of passage for me. Uh, you think about films like The Wizard of Oz, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, Mary Poppins, all of those films that I think I was just exposed to. I don't really remember when, actually. I think just, just part of my growing up, really. Um, but I always seem quite fascinated with who was Dorothy, um, and it was interesting, actually. I remember specifically saying to my dad, you know, who, who is who is this? Who, who's Dorothy? And he said, my dad said something along the lines of, well, you know, she she did The Wizard of Oz and that was it. I mean, I don't, I don't, I don't, he obviously had a very limited view of what her career was. But uh, yeah, I, I then just got online, really. And I think that was the big turning point for me, really. It was just the, the kind of the era without giving... It was just with our own websites, and that's really how I started discovering all the material. But it was before YouTube; we couldn't have access to a lot of things. And actually, that's how I met Ben. Um, you know, I'm sure Ben will go on to tell you in a second. But he, um, you know, we met online. I think we were about 11, which is uh, scary. And then it was actually Connor. I remember you from those days back in 2005. Um, and yeah, that, that's that was really kind of my initial discovery. Really, that's so cool. I love how you and Ben have known each other since you were 11 years old. Isn't it insane how she just brings people together, right? Like, Absolutely. Your best, years. Yeah, that's wild. Um, so, yeah, I, a very similar story to Paul. It all began with The Wizard of Oz. Um, growing up in, you know, mid-90s England, we didn't have access to a lot of Judy Garland films. But The Wizard of Oz was a staple. It was on every Christmas and sometimes they played it midway through the year as well on one of the BBC channels. And it was a, when I first actually watched The Wizard of Oz, it was a tape recorded that someone had recorded off the television. And it started actually when she just landed in Oz. So it missed out the first 20 minutes of the film, including, you know, the song Over the Rainbow. And I didn't know anything else other than that for about two years and that so that was what 96 so that when I actually got my own version of it I was introduced to the full film and I got to see her name for the first time it it, it was the name that stuck with me similar to Paul it was that her name and I was I, I, I don't know how what else to describe from it I just kept looking for her name in the television guide for other films with her and there was none 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 were really shown around that time. And then it must have been a couple of years later that I saw one and it turned out to be the Harvey Girls. So I, I watched the Harvey Girls for the first time when I was eight. And that, and I recorded that as well. And that had a, quite a long impression on me as well. The last one is still one of my favorites to watch now. And then as we moved into, along with the internet and I got access to more things and started to research her a bit more started to try and find if there was any books on her and then as Paul said that's and started going on websites and like the Judy Garland database and that's how me and Paul came to meet and yeah one was about 11 maybe 12 so we're pushing on 20 years now and we've got a good personal friendship and good personal relationship with each other now but it all started with 
meeting on Judy on a uh, Judy Garland, um, not even a forum. It was a guest book, if you remember back then. That's old school. It was a guest book, and you just left a comment with your email address at the top. And I, I messaged Paul because he was another young guy in England with the same interests and the same passion towards her, which was very quite. It wasn't easy to come by that. I was going to say rare. <laughs> it was very rare to find, you know, another 11, 12-year-old kid, a, a lad that was um, into old Hollywood and Judy Garland films. That's where me and Paul came to me, and we've been on... We've shared everything that we've collected, not physically, but we've told each other the things that we've come across. We've kind of got things at the same time. Connor, I don't know if you ever remember this, but back when the the signature collection came out we we was talking over msn and email and we actually called each other i called you from my old house in bedford bedfordshire and the minute you answered the phone because it was a portable phone the battery cut out <laughs> and we never spoke again oh god <laughs> <laughs> i was, I was like what is he going to say i was like oh god no <laughs> don't worry oh do you know i don't even remember that isn't that terrible oh i do it was, a, it was a 30 second conversation and then the phone went dead. Oh, I'm trying to, I'm racking. I do remember MSN and I do remember the guest book and I remember the Judy Garland database. But, and I remember, I don't know, Paul, was it you or was it somebody else I remember speaking to on the phone from England as well? It must have been Ben. <laughs> maybe, maybe it was Ben then, but there was somebody else I had a conversation. What was it? Did we talk another time? Or was that it? We must have done. I think we did. We must have done. Because we had so much to talk about because these DVDs had just come out. Yeah. And I was sick of talking to Paul about them because we'd just <laughs> gone over and over and over and over the same ground <laughs> for two days solid. I needed somebody new to talk to. Yeah. <laughs> That's so funny. Everybody's just connected here. <laughs> yeah. So awesome. We was a very back back in the early noughties. We was a we was a smaller community because we didn't have the what would become the the actual. Um, the, you remember the Judy Garland fan forum? We didn't have that then. No. So we was all connected via email and MSN. So it was actually very very was a lot smaller then. We knew of all the other people outside, but we was a lot smaller and a lot more closer there. And then we expanded. <laughs> And now it's just blown up <laughs> with so well, many. It's, it's, so got, many. it's gotten even better. I, I think it's gotten better um, with, you know, with especially since she's come to Instagram. Like the Instagram groups that I see are fantastic. I think yeah. the communication overall is a lot easier now. Um, so perhaps I think everyone was there. Um, and you can obviously access a lot of materials now. You know, I need to go on my Instagram and I'm seeing clips of footage that I would never have been able to. I mean, we couldn't even see video files. There was no YouTube, so mm -hmm. you couldn't discover, I don't think, in the same way, potentially. Mm -hmm. It was actually Judy that was the first place I found YouTube. Somebody, I, I, I remember on that forum that was on the Judy Room website, somebody posted something about, oh, there's this new website called YouTube and it's got like, there's a couple of Judy Garland clips on it of like the silent footage of the Sahara concert and, and a couple of things. And I was like, whoa, this is amazing. <laughs> well, you couldn't have, have anything more than 30 seconds on before, was it? Or was it? It was short. 
Yeah, it was definitely short. It was, yeah. And, and then it would get taken down um, literally the following week or something. Yeah. For yeah. Reasons. I think it, I think there's a lot, they're a lot more lenient on it now because they can monetize things. But, you know. Yeah. It makes me wonder how, like, if, if, everything's progressed the way that it has now and everything is so accessible and we've got Instagram, YouTube, Facebook, Tumblr. What else is there going to be? Like, what is it going to be like in five, 10 years, you know? And then all of a sudden, of course, we have everything being restored onto 1080p and 4k and rumor has, I mean, 8k is right around the corner. What is 8k going to look like? <laughs> you know, I'm excited. Well, I wonder if they'll ever go through with that. Do you remember about Four years ago they were there was the planned hologram tour oh yes i wonder if they'll ever go through with that well, they they don't know. they've done the whitney one haven't they ish 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 <laughs> when you read these things on the news i never know whether they actually get it done or not well it actually it's made the news because she was like the first big one to be announced before whitney it was before yeah. whitney if the right people are behind it then it'll be great <laughs> I'd imagine yeah. there's probably a whole thing with the rights as well as to the legalities of it, like who, what footage is it going to be hologra- hologrammed on the stage and what audio is it coming from? And I'd say it gets a bit messy that way as well. Mm. I mean, I imagine well, I imagine it's going to come from the Judy Garland show. Yeah. Oh, it's the clearest footage, isn't it? And I think it's the the one that has the, I guess it's the most complete of, of her kind of concert years mm. yeah and I think her family still own the uh, still own the rights to it I think they yeah I think yeah. it was Lorna was it that still has the rights to it I believe I'm not not 100% sure I believe so I think after Sid passed away I think they they now belong to her we'll see what happens with everything you know now they've got the CGI that they can do they can literally bring anybody back to life depend like no matter the you know the material so it's kind of scary but I think it would freak me out a little bit though yeah 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 you know we used to get excited for a dvd release I, know. <laughs> I, I used know. to get excited when a video would come in the post from america because i, I thought my god this is amazing Same. It's so true though, isn't it? Because we me and Ben talk about this, you know, we've talked about it before. There was like so much was not available. Um, yeah. and actually most of it had come from the States. So you could never just walk into a shop and just casually buy something, or if you except the Wizard of Oz or a Star is Born, maybe. Um, that's all you could really get. So yeah, we used to I remember when Warner Archive started releasing all the uh, the lesser known titles, and it was like Christmas had come early, really. Yeah. There was one shop um, here in Waterford. It's, it's well, it's called the Book Centre, but it, once upon a time it kind of had a level that was a, a music shop. And in and around that era, I'd say the early two thousands, maybe the mid two thousands, um, I was in there, and they had a whole uh, shelf of the Rhino soundtracks. So there was like the Harvey Girls oh. Easter Parade, the, the Judy Garland in Hollywood one um, for me and my gal. And of course, it was like, whoa. Mm. Mm-hmm. I, I they just put a lot of effort into them, them with the artworks and everything. It was yeah. There, there was a place beautiful. apparently in London uh, and it's just closed down. And I've just heard about it where they used to get a lot of the uh, Region 1 DVDs from America. I think the guy used to buy it wholesale. I think it was near Soho. Um, yes, so like, not just Judy Garland. Yes, maybe. Yeah. I, I, I heard about it and I was like, great, I'm going to check it out. And they were like, oh, no, it's not, it's not there anymore. 
Where was it? I think it was in Soho. It was like a, I know the record store. It's near the Ivy Brasserie, like in central London. But it's um, there was downstairs. They did a lot of uh, material like that, which would have been like a oh, gold fuck. To, like, find it there. <laughs> fuck, Sarah, fuck. you're so quiet. <laughs> no, I was just interested listening to him what you were saying about like the the fan forum because I remember you, Paul, on there, and that's where I met Connor. I can't remember you, Ben. What was your username? God, no. I was trying to think of my username before we came on this call. I think mine was my name. You were just Paul, I think. I was just Sarah. Paul, do you know what brought it back for me was, did, did you have something on Instagram there the other day about the sheet music that you have that's to Paul? That, I went, oh my God, I remember that on the forum. I remember yeah. him getting that. Yeah. Because um, I'm so paranoid that it's fading or that it's going to fade because mm. it's fountain pen. And I was just Keep like... Keep it away from I sunlight. I, I'm actually... I, yeah, but I think it has faded slightly. Um, I mean, I've had it for 15 years, so it's, it's in a frame behind. I might just get a copy of it because I'll never forgive myself if I just keep it in a frame and it, like, burns through. I mean, it's, like, 60, 60 odd years old. But, yeah, prized possession. I just shuffled off there because as you were saying that, I was going to say absolutely mind it with your life because I'm going to show you something now that literally upsets me to this day when I look at it <laughs> it's the Judy Garland show box set Lauren assigned this for me and I stupidly had it in the sun or without realizing I didn't know the sun was hitting it during the day or something like that and it is faded a little bit at the front I don't know if you can see it or oh, the light is probably she, it's signed here, but it is honest, a bit faded. All, all the spines on my DVDs, like Pigskin Parade, which was quite bright yellow, Summerstock, which is bright yellow, all the spines are like white now. Yeah. Um, and they've been on the shelf for so long. But yeah, I can forgive myself for, for a one DVD of Summerstock, but if it's Judy Garland's signature, I will not forgive myself for that. <laughs> you can get um, a glass for a frame that's like a UV filter thing on it as well. Yeah, I bought mine in Ikea. <laughs> so, Connor, would you like to share your Judy story? Like your Judy journey? My turn. Um, ben, I think I'm literally a carbon copy of, of, of Paul and Ben because we're all in around the same age. And I suppose Ireland is the neighbour of, 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 of England. So it's exactly the same story that we couldn't get a hold of a lot of, of things that were released in the US and, and Canada. Um but the funny thing with me is I actually came to the Wizard of Oz as the Wizard of Oz before ever Judy. So in other words, I had a book of the Wizard of Oz when I was little. And that was my obsession when I was little. And then I had a video of a cartoon of the Wizard of Oz. It's on YouTube. It's like this 20 minute cartoon version of the Wizard of Oz. And um, again, exactly the same as the two boys. Christmas time one year, The Wizard of Oz, I'd say we're talking 95, 96-ish kind of time. And it's on TV and my mother is like, yeah, I'll record it for you on video. So she recorded it for me. And that was the start of it. And I always remember um, putting it on and dad saying, oh, uh, you know, that's in black and white now. And my mother was there. No, no, it, it goes to colour when she goes to Oz. And I was like, oh, wow. Um and then, <laughs> um, again, the boys and Sarah will know this, the TNT channel. I think it was a UK channel, but again, we got it here 
Um, do you remember? TNT was the best. It was better than TCM. Yeah. It was well better than TNT. Yeah. Definitely. And you see, my dad is a little bit techie. Now, I don't mean as in computer techie. What I mean is like wires and bits and pieces that he loves. So we had satellite thing. I don't know. And this is where we got the TNT from. But there was one evening or actually it was one of the days I was watching TNT and up comes this ad for their Judy Garland night. So it was the Wizard of Oz and meet me in St. Louis. But I didn't know her from anything except The Wizard of Oz. So I was like, oh, my God, Dorothy's other film kind of a thing. Um, so, again, it was recorded for me and they showed every Sunday in between Oz and Meet Me in St. Louis. Um, so I, I suppose I got to see every Sunday followed by Meet Me in St. Louis. And that was my first non-Oz film. And the video shop that was down around the corner from my house had Easter Parade on video. So that was the next one after that. And it was just spiraled from there. I love it. Brought sure. back so many memories to hearing Paul and Ben talk there because it's it's exactly <laughs> like you'd be scanning the TV guide. Me and Sarah have talked about this as well. You'd be scanning the TV mm. guide to go, where is she? Where is she? <laughs> you know, and you might see from me and my gal and you go, ah! <laughs> yeah, that, that was a rare one. It was only ever the, uh, I remember Easter Parade, Meet Me in St. Louis, The Wizard of Oz, Harvey Girls. Maybe a star is born. You would never get any Mickey and Judy films. You would never the get Zeke any Girl. Was that on TV? Zeke Fowl yeah. Girl was on as well. It's, really? Yes. Uh-huh. And Summerstock. I remember Summerstock, and I could go on singing on with on BBC well. Two. Oh, I tell you what, though, Zeke Fowl Girl took a while to come on uh, because I like predate use by like a decade. That's why I've just been sat back listening because my my story was like very similar, except mine started in the 1980s and I first um, saw The Wizard of Oz again when I was three. It was Christmas Eve 1984 and I was just like, just like taken into this world and especially this girl playing Dorothy. Um, my mum was like really, really good at, you know, like encouraging it. She's like, that's Judy Garland. And I just had a fascination with her. I'd like look at the, pic- the pictures of Dorothy in the magazines. And then I think it was my mum that sort of encouraged me to watch other films. The first one I remember seeing after that was Easter Parade. Um, I used to do dancing when I was little. And we didn't have a video and my friend taped, my mum's friend taped it. Uh, so I'd go to her house sometimes to watch films she'd taped and then we did eventually get a video but um, the, in like 1989 she um, it was like 20 years since her death and they played, played like a few films and they used to play the Mickey Judy ones a lot and also we had a friend in the street um, who she's just passed on now but she liked Judy as well and she she'd let me like strike up the bands and babes on Broadway in the good old summertime. So I taped most of the films off the telly uh, in those, um, do you remember the top loads of videos? <laughs> I remember them. Yeah. Um, I have shown me age now. And then later, I, then when I was nine, I got my first book, which was the Aldiorio Little Girl Lost, and I memorised, um, I, I had a better memory back then, I memorised like all the films. So then the TV guy thing came about, as we spoke the other week. 
Connor I'd be looking in the TV guide and then they showed the Andy Hardy films on the um, telly, believe it or not, which we discussed in the Mickey Judy podcast. And I get really excited. And then the only backyard musical I hadn't seen was Girl Crazy, which is my favourite one, funny enough. And I was like dying to see it for so long. And that came on and it was in the TV guide. And I was quite a quiet, shy kid. But I was just, I was hysterical, running around the house, like going, going loopy. And then it was the time of the early 90s Iraq war. And they had to reschedule a lot of programmes so it was supposed to be always show Judy films on like BBC Two or Channel Four back then, so we only had the four channels. And I was dead upset because it got rescheduled, and then it came, it, it got rescheduled, and it came back on a few weeks later, thankfully. And then, like, even thought about Stone Cry was shown on the telly at some point. All of them, I saw everybody sing Broadway Melody when I was really young. So that's like how I got into it. So it was like again, The Wizards of Oz. I was lucky enough that they show films on the telly. I'd access certain books. Um, before I even had the Wizard of Oz on video, I had like a little tape recording of the actual um, film, but the bits were cut out of it, but I used to take it into school. I was like in the infants playing it in school and people would be like, she's a strange <laughs> child. <laughs> That's so cute. It's funny that you mentioned about the book because I remember my, in the, in the days of when you first got dial-up internet, I think my dad got really sick that I was on the internet so long. And I think in the end he was like, you know what, I'm just going to get you a book. And he got me, it was Anne Edwards' book. The um, That was the first one that I ever had. And I, I remember reading that about 11, and I think it was probably a bit a bit heavy for an 11. Definitely wasn't the standard reading material for 11. Don't get me started on reading a book when I was 11, Carly. I was, Where I was we going with say- this? I was just gonna say, <laughs> Sarah's got Sarah's got one for you. <laughs> yeah. I've been traumatized by the David Shipman biography since I was 11, 12. Same one. Same. Are you the same? Did you read same. it young as well, Ben? A bit too. To be honest, um, uh, yeah, I did. I um, I bought a, quite a few in a short space of time. Um. It was actually one of the first ones I got, Get Happy, the David Shipman one, Anne Edwards, The Little Girl Lost One, and Gerald Frank's one. And this was about, I was about 11. Um, yeah, it was gross. gross. I, still haven't, I still never finished it. I still never finished it. The same with um, Gerald Clark's. Never been able to finish it. Yeah, see, Gerald Clark's book was, for me, I only ever read it once. And to be honest, I haven't read a Judy biography for years, actually, if I'm honest with you. There's usually certain books, usually it's John Fricky's book or perhaps A Day in the Life of, that I'll dip in and out of for a bit of research, but I've never actually sat and read an autobiography through, but some of them aren't great, I don't think. Well, I've got, well, I've amassed quite a few of them. I just I, I I pulled them all out to, to do a little bit of reading before we did this, and I, I counted twenty eight. I've got quite a few of them. They're just on the on the shelf. <laughs> just ornaments. I've I've got the good, the bad, the ugly, and <laughs> the uh, very ugly. And there's there's yeah. some bizarre ones as well. Some very bizarre ones as well. But I had the very same experience with Clark's. 
book. It was the very first one that I read. And I, like you, I did not finish it. I couldn't finish it. I slammed it and put it away. And I thought this is the most ridiculous and disgusting and disrespectful thing I've ever read. Um, and then I started reading John Fricke's books and I thought, oh, this is better. <laughs> and then the first full one that I read, like cover to cover is Gerald Frank's book. And I love that. One. I, love I love that, that one. one. I love that one a lot. He is so funny in that book. I have never laughed out loud reading a book and cried, like actually cried reading a book than that one. For me, that one still rings very close to me because that he was able to really weave a narrative without an agenda and manipulating facts. The, my only problem with that one is it's very Sid heavy. Yes. That's my problem with it. I, I love it as well. Um, it's the best out of the four biographies that concentrates on a life, definitely, because John's concentrates on a career um, with a few references to a few um, personal incidents, but that's the best on her actual life the rainbow one's quite good it's just it's only um really details up to during the early years yeah it kind of shifts off doesn't it in, into the last 19 years it, it gets yeah. cut really short but it's again that's another a very good narrative and it was the, the first one that i was introduced as like the pictorial because yeah. I had that way before I had John Frickers. You guys are definitely coming back for a podcast on the books. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> we could fill a whole like two hours just talking about books. <laughs> <laughs> well, I feel kind of like the uh, the odd lady out in terms of the uh, the stories for how you got into Judy. I was a bit of a late bloomer, I think. <laughs> I was not around for the uh, for the Judy Garland database and you know the, even the Yahoo group. Like I didn't really know anything much about that. But of course, my my journey did start very similar to yours in, in terms of getting into her in The Wizard of Oz so young. I was two years old when I very first saw the film. I wore out my VHS tape, drove my parents absolutely insane because I would want to watch it every five minutes and get them to rewind the part specifically where she throws the wit, the water at the witch. That was just that was my favorite part through the whole thing. <laughs> and that's sort of where it all began. And she's always kind of been lurking, I guess, in, uh, in, my, in my brain. However, I did not get into the Judy Garland, the person and the rest of her filmography until very much later. Um, in fact, actually, the very, <laughs> my very first exposure to her outside of The Wizard of Oz is actually in the movie Twister. I'm sure those of you who have seen it, you know exactly what I'm talking about. (laughs) Yes, well, and she's, um, the Aunt Maggie, I think her name is, is watching A Star is Born right before the the big tornado hits. And my mom said, you know who that is? (laughs) And I was probably about eight or nine at the time when I watched it. That was another film that I absolutely loved. I was totally into. And I said, no. I didn't know who it was. <laughs> and she said, that's Dorothy. And of course she looks so different, right? Like I just, I couldn't wrap my brain around that. That's wow. That's Dorothy. Boy, she's featured a lot in this film. <laughs> um, 
anyway, and then she kind of, and then, you know, as I weaved in and out of other interests, I didn't stumble upon her again until uh, high school. Um, in art class, I decided to do a project where I had to paint the backdrop of a film. And well, what film did I pick? The Wizard of Oz. And I had to watch it again so that I could get out all the details right. <clears throat> and I was just reminded why I loved her so much. And at this time, I was about 17 years old. So now I'm able to understand that she was an actual person and she actually had other films. And, uh, and that's where it all began. And I went online, I watched all the YouTube videos, the documentaries. I watched several documentaries before I got in, before I opened myself up to her other films. And I, I spoke about this on our Mickey and Judy podcast, but <laughs> my very first film exposure outside of Oz, <laughs> Sarah and Connor, you know this, <laughs> Love Finds Andy Hardy. And I was so mad <laughs> because she so horribly in that film and I I've just here she is talking about being an in-between and you know she's you know people don't want to hear or watch her face and I'm like what so yeah that was that was my and here we are today <laughs> you know 10 years 11 years later I don't know how old I am 11 years later and we're we're doing a podcast <laughs> oh so, so you're the you're the baby of the group aren't you I'm the grandmother. <laughs> <laughs> well, you were one of the lucky ones, Carly. You were able to go onto the internet and find yeah. clips of her on YouTube and stuff, not like yeah. us trying to get videotapes from somewhere. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was a very different exposure, I think. And it's kind of cool that, you know, I mean, everybody has their own stories about how they got into or the different impact that she's had on everybody's life. And so many of them are so different and so many of them are so much the same and it's it's very interesting and and it's fun to see how even today we are still seeing you know young people getting into her especially with instagram you know a lot of those instagram accounts are run by very young teenagers and that kind of warms my heart a bit it's like this is the next generation these are the ones that are going to carry you know carry her through anyway now i'm just waffling <laughs> um you know when you see some of these people who are uh, running these instagram accounts but then i think back to when me and ben were setting up a website so inviting geo cities and you know we were that age really it was just a different time um you'd put together your homepage with one picture and it would take you all day whereas now you know people have got these instagram accounts it's just the same thing it's just a different way of doing it really they will never have to go through what we went through <laughs> You'll never have to lose HTML coding. <laughs> oh my god. Oh my god. Well, now that we've sort of shared our Judy journeys, I guess I really want to open it up now um, to discuss our favorite Garland moments. I open it up to the floor. I have about 18 million listed. So I'm going to let somebody else speak before I go off. Where do we start? Anywhere. We can start anywhere. I had a real soft spot initially for um, her, her films were always what was the biggest thing for me. I think starting because I discovered her through her films initially. Um, and I always found that I enjoyed those the most. That's obviously changed a lot now as I'm more familiar with her like later work and her recordings, but it was definitely the films. Um, I had more of a soft spot for the kind of, um, 
I guess it's the the Mickey and Judy film is presenting Lily Mars, um, Zeke girl, because I really like seeing her in a contemporary setting. Um, that was just my preference because you know Harvey Girls, the pirate in the good old summertime Easter parade, really amazing. But they were all um, period people, really. Um, and I loved that. I just thought she looked so good in the 40s and I really liked the fashion of that era. So for me, it's not necessarily a specific moment, but I really liked that part of the work. And maybe it was because those films, for me, as I'm sure, you know, um, Ben Connor, um, Sarah as well, they, they seem to be the hardest to get. So I think maybe I was a bit more overexposed to some of the other stuff. So definitely the Mickey and Judy films. Um, but I know Ben and I did a whole podcast episode about Mickey and Judy films, as I know you guys. Yeah, well, you like Girl Crazy and actually... Ooh. Love girl crazy. I like it because she's the one in control. Or should I say, she's the one being chased? Yes, exactly. What (laughs) we is you? You not care for girl crazy, Paul? No, I did. I I do. I love it. Um, I think she looks amazing. Um, it's that for me presenting Lily Mars, girl crazy. Um, for me and my gal, I I think that's when she looked her, her best on film. Um. I've always thought that. But I think it's, again, that goes more in hand with the style of it. I really like that 1940s style. I think it suited her really well. I also think in that time as well, she was really starting to fine-tune her talent, you know, not just as a singer, but as an actress and as a comedian. And she was able to really convey that on camera. And I think that's why those films are really, really well-liked by us, because it's yeah. got it, it, She's such a versatile performer in all of those films. And she's very uh, in it as well. She's very present within those films as well. Well, she's presented as like a, a beautiful woman, not the ugly yeah. duckling girl next door. We were talking about present Lily Mars the other week. One thing I hardly ever get to mention is people always think of Judy as a belter, a powerful, loud singer. And that's not to everyone's taste. But I love him present Lily Mars, how like pure her voice is. It's a lot softer, it's a lot easier than we used to. I don't know whether you've noticed. Yeah, yeah. And I think, you know, it's not always just about how she looks, per se, but as we just touched on there, you know, she, I feel like they actually give her that glamour treatment and, and, and kind of allowed her to be, you know, the ingenue, really, as opposed to somebody who's dressed down. Um, you know, and I, I think she looks really, really good. I think she was really in charge of her craft at that point yeah mm-hmm. and she knew don't it. get us don't get us starters on a costumes by the way <laughs> after my little rant about the broadway melody of 1938 baby doll collar thing in the house oh yeah and the oh little my God. curls <laughs> And the Lakonga dress, you love that one, don't you? I do. I absolutely love the Lakonga dress um, with all the frills and the Philly knickers that go with it. Yeah. (laughs) Girl crazy dress where she, you know, the one that's quite sheer, but it's got like the petal pattern over the back. Yeah. Um, Yeah. I always thought it, (laughs) this sounds really bad. You can cut this out if you want, but I always thought when she turned around, it kind of looks like a thong from the back. Like it looks like it's. I don't think that was like that, but it actually does. I was like, what? <laughs> I've never noticed that. One of my worst dresses is the um, drummer boy dress. Oh, that yeah. costume and that hairstyle. Yeah. The, hair, <laughs> the hair's not good. Oh, yeah, MGM didn't have a clue sometimes, considering they were the most glamorous with hair. They just were clueless at times. 
in yeah, the early days. It's, it's kind of like a front fringe, isn't it? With like, <laughs> is it stuck? I can't be her normal hair. Like that must be a hair piece on top, right? I don't know. We only discovered, thanks to Carly, that her hair in summer stock is actually a piece as well. It's a hair piece. Really? Yes. It was up for auction. Why? We had that reaction as well. <laughs> I hate the sun stuff here. Yeah. Which it, is it, funny it, it, because... It yes. That's what we were talking about, is that it really, really ages her. And it looks very... Di- it. I mean, the extra weight that she had put on with that hair, it just... It, it didn't really go well. But oddly enough, um, I was actually going to say this a bit earlier, but um, while you guys prefer her look in, you know, around Presenting Lily Mars from me and my gal, uh, girl crazy, I am absolutely... Uh, in love with summer stock Judy I think that she looked never looked more beautiful than she did as Jane Falberry I think it's because she just she looks so healthy with that extra weight I mean the the way that they dressed her did not help and the hair did not help but just her face her face her body she is just wow it's I the time because um, I'm thinking around 1950 hairstyles for women in particular were going quite short cropped mm. and that was mm. probably at the time quite on trend um, it probably just hasn't aged very well but they must have yeah. I mean even to be fair to M- MGM or somebody at MGM they must have even thought in summer stock that she did look great because they purposely freeze frame at the end of that scene um you know, and she does look gorgeous in that scene. In the is that Brandy Star? Yeah. Oh, the there's the funny um, quote from Charles Walters. Oh, is that Please the do. naughty one? It's Where so I love I love Chuck Walters. I mean, he was saying, you know, obviously she was having a tough time during summer stock, and you had to keep her spirits up. And he says he thinks Friendly Star was one of the best things she did, which I agree. I think she looks gorgeous. Um, and he said she um, he moved in for a big close-up and he said she looked up with those big liquid eyes and he just shouted, cut, can someone hand me a towel? I've just come. And <laughs> Judy just said, um, <laughs> come on, we've got a job to do or something like that, you know, laughed. Oh. And he said, now, people might think that's indelicate, but that's the kind of, like, humour that she liked. <laughs> so, I've never heard that before. <laughs> so you I've can, you can keep it in if you want, Carly. Or you oh, can I'm keeping it. it in. I'm keeping it in because one of the reasons on my 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 you know 18 million list list for reasons is that her humor. She loved dirty humor. Yeah, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's just the way that you could get to her was just you know you use swear words, use all, you know, just go for it. There's one, um, there's an anecdote in the Gerald Frank book. I'm pretty sure it's in the Frank book uh, where she was um, cracking up because someone's phone number ended in 69. <laughs> <laughs> like, is she 12? <laughs> Game of days back then. So perhaps people might have found that more, more, more funny uh, into adulthood. Yeah. I was just going to say, I know George Schlasser from the TV show said, um, Anything to do with even Miles Flatulent used to make her laugh. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. <laughs> Wasn't there a tape yeah. for us? Right. It used to play recordings of it when yeah. she'd get obsessed and make her laugh. <laughs> really? Yeah. yeah. That one. 
I think somebody made a tape of different flatulence noises, like, and played it over the sound system in the studio to crack her up. <laughs> to be fair, that's quite funny. Yeah. <laughs> oh, what a Judy. <laughs> <laughs> what a Judy on the T-shirt. Yeah, there it is. Can't see it. Oh, I just literally just noticed that. <laughs> well, I just wanted to add about uh, Easter Parade because um, one of the other uh, many reasons is there is a there's one moment in particular I can actually remember <clears throat> like falling in love with her and realizing that there's no getting out of this. Like I'm in it for the long haul now. Um, Easter Parade was the second film that I had watched after Love Finds Andy Hardy. <laughs> and when she is walking down the street and uh, whips out the bloop face, I knew that I, that, yep, this is, the, she is quite the lady. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know her at, the, at that point as a comedian. Uh, I didn't know that she was, was, could, could play funny. And just to see that scene um, so early on in my uh, Judy journey, as I like to call it, um I just I love that so much she was just such a goofball <laughs> yeah I love that speaking of funny faces Connor do you know in the last podcast you were talking about say Carl Reiner talking about the Balboa yeah. and Judy pulled that face like that she um she does that in Love Finds Andy Hardy I just remembered you know that in the drugstore and a lot of Tina walks past yeah. she just kept these faces <laughs> with her all the way through her life and career she like looks at it and goes. He did that. He did that in the Wizard of Oz too, when she throws the water on the witch. Yes. Yeah. She does seem to have a couple of kind of things in her bag of tricks that pop up, you know, more than once along the way. I think I mentioned it in one of them, um, in Babes in Arms, when Mickey faints after getting the money, and she goes, "Oh, it's it's Dorothy's." Oh, and then that she yeah. does that something else. She does that another time as well. Um, yeah. Jiminy crickets and the yeah. darling. And in and the pirate she, when she's saying she wants to go home. Yes. Yeah. And the other thing she does is when she's doing a dramatic scene, like an upset scene when she's crying, um, she does it in A Star Is Born and she does it in, I can't remember where the other one is, but she says the same word twice. You know, when she says, is it wrong to try, to try? She does mm. that a couple of times in films as when she's upset. And I've noticed Liza's done it once or twice as well. Yeah, I think Liza did it in New York, New York, and I watched that at the end of the year, and I thought it sounded quite similar. Yeah. Mm, she's very like Judy in that film, isn't yes. she? Yes. Can I just mention another funny thing, and then I'll shut up again? <laughs> See, my quiet, my quiet period didn't last. No, um, speaking about really, like, um, immature and sick sense of humours, <laughs> can I just say the noises she makes in Meet Me in St. Louis when she's getting a corset on? Oh, yes. <laughs> Is it just me that thinks they're a little bit... Um... Oh, Carly, Have you guys seen the comments on YouTube? No. I can never unhear that. No. Someone posted on, because that scene is posted on YouTube, and one of the very first comments is, well, thanks, Judy. Now my whole family thinks I'm watching porn. <laughs> 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 I how loud they had it. <laughs> My goodness. <laughs> no, I think getting put into a corset, I mean, her waist is like this though, isn't it? So I, like it's tiny, so I'm sure it was quite painful. No, it's just me yeah. being a little bit immature. 
No, but now you've said it, I can't unhear that. Uh, okay, any other moments? There's, there, I'm sure there's loads. <laughs> we could be well, for a week. Yeah, I mean, oh, I love I know. one we thing. Really the wrinkle, the way she wrinkles her nose. Yes. That um, yes. and the song, the the way you look tonight, the lyric in that, that laugh, that wrinkles your nose, always reminds me of her. Oh yes. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be quiet now. <laughs> the wrinkle of the nose, and then the bottom teeth that she always flashes when she really smiles. <laughs> I just love how she's able to like go in later when she appeared on television on as as a guest. And she's always able to build such a rapport with the actual host of the show. And she was genuinely hilarious in all of them. That's my favorite thing. It's my favorite thing. Like you said, Carly, it's a sense of humor and her wit. Yeah. Yes, she was so quick. We, we probably weren't privy to even a lot of the, the sharpness of that wit because I think you hear about people who, you know, recall how funny she really was. I think Lucille Ball, uh, you know, famously said that she was really funny. Um, and actually, Lucy, Lucille Ball said she was just funny when script writers did it, but Judy Garland was actually funny. Um, and I think actually that only really came to people's understanding after the, uh, obviously, her first appearance in the Jack Parr program where she really was completely unscripted. Um, I think because if you look at that, even in comparison to perhaps some of the 1950s television specials that she did, um, yeah, she's really good, but she's almost kind of still feels a little bit like unsure about herself. And, and you can tell that she's perhaps not fully comfortable. Um, so, yeah, just to like echo what Ben said about the humor. Um, I don't know if you've seen the one with um, on the was it the Mike the Mike Douglas show 1968 where she looks at the images of her film yeah. work um, and I, I remember seeing that and being completely fascinated because I felt like I was almost sitting down with her and saying look at this picture what do you think of this and what do you think of this because you don't often hear a comment on oh well I hadn't heard her comment or her reactions around some of her earlier films like Love Finds Andy Hardy, The Wizard of Oz, A Star Is Born. And I always, and you know, that, that where she didn't even remember what the still from Everybody Sing was. And she, the, the, the pause for about what feels like five minutes and, you know, is it a radio show or who is it? And she, she can't work out what it is. And I just, I, I like that kind of, you know, it, it seems really genuine as opposed to her early TV work as well. Yeah, and I liked that. I liked that when she was able to recall Thoroughbreds Don't Cry on the Gypsy Rose Lee show as well. Yeah, it was very fulfilling. I don't know how many people well, would have that <laughs> in the sixties. To be honest, no, 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 no. It would probably been a late night kind of television, like two o'clock in the morning kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. well, I think some of her recordings as well. Um, I think. I think the the you know some of the work that she did for Capitol Records is definitely something that I came to at a later stage um, when I was a lot younger. As I mentioned before, you know I was really into the movies, and I think I really liked her body of work during the MGM years. That was always my preference. Um, mm -hmm. And I think as I got older, the first thing that I realised about the Capitol Records was actually first of all her voice on them is amazing. I mean, Rocket by a Baby with a Dixie Melody from the 1955 album, unbelievable, um, and actually. The the audio quality of these recordings was much better than perhaps what the Decca records had been in like the early 40s. A lot of the compilation albums had tracks on there that were ripped from radio, I found. Um, so they weren't always the best quality. So I think that, I mean, a lot of people don't think of her as a recording artist as such when you think about albums that she would have put out um, and the work for Capitol Records. I think sometimes that goes under the radar perhaps a little bit as a sort of side from the movies and the concerts. So yeah, I mean, 
some of the tracks on those albums, especially in the late fifties, are, are amazing vocally. I agree because, like, again, from that time when we were, you know, 10, 11, 12 or whatever, we would I would have certainly mostly only heard the the the, the Decca stuff and not in the greatest of quality. It could be no. third or fourth, I don't know, generation copies or stuff on these cheap four pound comp- compilation things. I used know. to buy them at like market stores, I'm sure. Yeah. Like, in my time they'd be like three pound or something and it yeah. just had some picture, but it was the same tracks that sounded like they'd been re-recorded and recorded. Um, I think I've still got some of them to be fair. I do. Um, I bought I do. I bought them at garden centres. Garden centres? <laughs> they were at garden centres. I actually think I remember that. Yeah. Or a lot of them were just rehashed, and I think when you listen to the audio quality, especially on some of the remastered ones, it's. I remember the first time I listened to it on a really good headphones, and it was like, "Whoa, like this is so clear." Um, mm. Well, that, they were able to be transferred to stereo, wasn't they? I think they were recorded on mono. Yeah. Especially the earlier stuff, when they've yeah. just not been well transferred, they've been able to digitize like the the, the capitals because you know. Capital's still very much capital. It's got all of its archive. Yeah. Yeah, and the capital yeah. stuff was done on tape um, as opposed to mm-hmm. sort of directly onto the vinyl, I think, you know, the way the deco would have been done. So I think the, the fidelity of the quality is a lot better that way. It's much fuller. Great description. There we go. Yeah. Fidelity. That's I'm my... definitely not techie enough to understand any of that. So I'm just like, mm, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yes, I know. Yes. <laughs> the word is your fidelity. Fidelity. Yes, I feel like I'm on countdown now or something. <laughs> but I remember um, being in the car with my best friend and kind of her friend um, and her friend really enjoys Karen Carpenter. And we were driving somewhere or whatever and the, the Spotify was out and we were putting on Karen Carpenter. I was like, oh, well, if you like Karen Carpenter, wait, and I play Judy for you. And I put on the man that got away from the London sessions um, in the car. I know the way in the cars, like depending on the car you have or whatever, but the sound system can be quite good in a car. And man that got away, full on stereo, her belting it out. Everyone was like, Jesus. (laughs) I have gone for drives specifically to listen to that song. Yeah. Just in my car because of the stereo system. Yeah. Roll down. Those driving down the highway just blasting it there is nothing <laughs> yeah i think the whole car turns into a speaker basically yeah yeah <laughs> and then you get to a stoplight and there's yeah. someone right next to you. you're just blaring <laughs> <laughs> or somebody pulls up beside you and they've got their windows down and Nicki minaj or something on the go and then yeah, meanwhile yeah. you've got dear mr gable <laughs> <laughs> Can I add something that's rather off topic, but one that I do want to add for this, um, one of the reasons that we love Judy so much. Um, can I just talk about the Mr. Monotony outtakes? Yes. For a sec? Yes. <laughs> How adorable and cute and funny is she in those outtakes? And what I love so much is that we get to see sort of the, the cut and her just, you know, what she does as soon as they yell cut. Um, the little faces that she makes, the little jokes that she 
uh, that she plays with the, with the rest of the crew. I'm always so curious what she's saying to them. Cause there's a few times where you can see that she is saying something and then she's bursting out laughing and I'm dying to know someone, someone's out there who can read lips. Can you watch the clip and let us know? <laughs> I think that we've got them, you know, I think a lot of the outtakes from um, some of the major films, I like, didn't survive. So it's great that they're actually still, there in their their raw form but actually the, you know the fact that you've got the footage there and you can see her like going in and out of character and she is laughing and joking on set I like that because you know the Judy Garland perception as such is that she you know had all these troubles and oh she must have been on set and and, and been completely miserable it's like well you know it wasn't really like that all the time like no one was putting a, a gun to her head as such and saying you need to perform now so I think it's nice that you can see that she wasn't this miserable person you know, she's got that humor mm. to her um, as well it's like the Judy Garland show lots of the outtakes on that she's like she's joking and laughing and that's why mm. I wanted to bring that up because you know just in case people who really don't know the the depth of her as a person stumble upon our podcast I just want it's so important for everyone to know that she was a very happy funny lady <laughs> she loved to have fun and she did have a lot of fun uh even so, through the bad times. the unfortunate thing is is that we what we know a lot of people will not have that as their first introduction because there's been so many books a very specific film that have taken her name and tried to well gone out of their way to dismantle her integrity and her character and I find that, that she, her, because of that, she's become somewhat um, enigmatic, very untouchable to a lot of people, where really they just have to look at things like this to know exactly what she was about. And that's why I stopped a long time ago trying to read too much in between the lines and doing too much investigative, investigative things like Oh, she must have been really unhappy at this time and just enjoyed her mm. for what she was giving mm -hmm. because you know all these years later we're still very lucky that she was able to that she was generous enough to share this with us and people should remember that instead of trying to dig for dirt yeah yes yeah. leave yes. her alone thank you you're going to do leave britney alone now <laughs> <laughs> But one of the reasons we wanted to do these podcasts is because um, we got so fed up with how much junk's on YouTube now. Oh, you yeah. Seen some of the videos. Some of the cl the clickbait videos, the tragic tale, what really yeah. happened to the Wizard of Oz. It's just like, really? Yeah, yeah because oh. the, like, to pick up on what the boys said as well, um, and, and Sarah, you did as well about the outtakes, and Carly with the outtakes. Oh, let me rephrase that. To pick up on what everybody said about the outtakes. <laughs> Um, there's there's nothing like there's literally no behind the scenes moments of her where she's not joking or laughing or seemingly happy or anything like that. There's there's literally nothing. The only thing I can think of is the outtake of Melancholy Baby for a Star is Born. And she goes, oh, hell. But I think she's just frustrated, yeah. you know, at herself or something with the song. Or I, I think she was trying to feel her way through the song and where to breathe in it. So that was... I think anyone would do that in work. Like if you were annoyed at something, you go, oh, for God's sake. You know, that's all I, that is. I think the outtakes for Annie Get Your Gun are a bit telling. 
Yeah. On occasion, yes, yes. But more so in her physical appearance and actually just how she looks exhausted. Mm. Uh, so, you know, it was probably the right decision, I think, for her to not be on that film for her own health. Mm. But, um, yeah, I mean, look, it's, it's a very high-pressure job. I can only imagine, like, working six days a week, the hours that they're working, you're going to go through a whole range of emotions over those years, over the, that work schedule. It isn't all just one emotion. Um, no. So, yeah. Well, if I can add a story, I'm going to, I'm like I said, I've got a, a list a mile long, but um, another really important one that I want to go through um, with you guys and with everyone else out there is the work that she did um, for human rights. That is oh, another man. incredibly important one. Um, ranks really high up on the list of why <laughs> we love her so much is because she fought tooth and nail for equality for everyone, no matter your religion, your race, your sexual orientation, she fought for everyone. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people, I spoke about this on the Mickey and Judy podcast, but I think it's important to mention it here as well, um, as it is still alive and you know, going on social media is the cancel culture around Judy because of her involvement in blackface very early on in MGM. And there's a lot of context missing. Um, a lot of people who are circulating that stuff on social media, particularly on Tumblr and TikTok, um, do not know Judy, do not know the, the studio system of the day. They don't know the work that she did um, going forward. And they don't know the, the, the context. They don't know anything about it. They just see it and think, no, she's done. She can't be our childhood hero anymore because she did this. Mm -hmm. And I think it's incredibly important that, um, that the people who are spreading that know <laughs> what she did and know that this is ridiculous anyway I open it up I open it up because I would go on <laughs> yeah it's, it's it's a tricky one isn't it because I think you know it's very much you know and I'm, I'm thinking of the, the blackface that performance that we're talking about for, and I'm assuming that's from everybody saying um I, I believe it is um it, it's it's very you really can't um, depict a person's views based on one performance that they probably did without any creative control I imagine um, needless to say at the age of 13 uh, when she probably wouldn't have had much say in what was said or done um, I think people need to focus more on what she was doing uh, I guess in the 60s um, in particular when there was obviously the whole civil rights movement going on and, and some of the things that she was advocating for that in terms of who she worked with, the audiences. I mean, she you know, famously said, you know, I sing to people. And, and that was actually the biggest, you know, that kind of sweeps the board, really, in terms of what she's talking about there. It doesn't matter about race, sexual orientation, um, any other area of dis you know, discrimination. You know, she was really ahead of its time in that respect because she would never pigeonhole an audience. There's that... Um, famous interview I think it was I want to say corrupt but I might be completely wrong on pronouncing that but you know it, it's actually floating around on YouTube where it says a gay icon defends a gay audience and that's the title of the video uh there's actually quite a lot more to that interview than just that 10 second clip but you know 
again she's at that time the interview was really trying to push her down that route of almost saying you are a gay icon or you are this and 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 she again defends her audiences and and in that way kind of defends everyone really and she even goes back as far as 1946 when she um the famous quote i don't have it off the top of my head i should have put it here but um when she says it takes everyone to make up America, whether you're black, white, Christian, uh, it, she lists a whole group of people. It just wouldn't be our America without any of them. And that's all the way back in 1946. And she also famously fought for the Nicholas brothers to be in the pirate. Um, they didn't want them in the, in the film because they thought the theaters in the South, they were threatening to pull the film if, or at least cutting out that whole number. Uh, in the release of, of uh, in, at the theaters and she fought for them and she defended uh, Noel Coward <laughs> to Sid Luff. I need to reread that that section in his book. Do you guys, have you guys read Sid Luff's book? Yeah. Yeah. She was hanging out a lot with Noel Coward at the time and Sid didn't want to go with them because he was gay and Judy didn't like that very much. So <laughs> I thought, what a Judy. Yes. <laughs> I think she thumped him for that or threw something at him. I think that's what he's... I would not be surprised. <laughs> I hope she did. Anyway, yes, I just wanted to make that point that, you know, that's another reason that she should be continued, that she should be celebrated. Yeah. Yeah. It's out you know certain snapshots and make that assumption but you to to do a bit more education and and learn around actually what she was doing for the good and and also thinking about the time that she was doing it you know that quote that you just said from 1946 i mean how ahead of its time is that because that was not the uh the norm unfortunately at that time to be speaking like that so i think that should be remembered more um i think it comes from two factors a lot of this to her background. Remember, she was in vaudeville from a very young age. She met dozens upon dozens upon dozens of people, hundreds of different people from different kinds of walks of life. And she was put in on the road with them, sharing hotels with these people. And you know, she was a people's person. She loved people. And so she was exposed to different kinds of people from such an early age that that kind of tolerance just followed her throughout the rest of her life. And then I think also as she got into towards the 60s and you know, there was her audience being quite scrutinized and her involvement with different people being quite scrutinized at the time. I think also she, she had so much empathy because she recognized these people as being misunderstood when she spent most of her adult life being misunderstood. So she could kind of relate on that level. And I think that's what made her, you know, such an advocate for, for others. And she used her celebrity for, you know, the greater good. You know, when she appeared in the press conference for that church that was, um, was it bombed? Yeah. 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 And I think as well, you know, a good point to bring up while we're on the topic is, you know, all the work that she did for um, uh, anyone with disabilities involved with, um, you know, obviously a child is waiting. I mean, that was pretty... um, I mean, it was great that she did it, but obviously at the time, if you think about making that as a mainstream film, that was quite a big, big subject to tackle. And she wasn't ashamed, but, you know, ashamed or afraid to do it, which is great. Um, so I think that's just another example of actually how could somebody be perceived as, you know, discriminating when they're, they're clearly exploring all these, all these different areas. 
And even Lorna writes in her book that when Judy was bringing her to the set of A Child is Waiting, just even the way she simply kind of explained to Lorna that, look, we're going to hear, you're going to meet a lot of children that maybe are a little bit different from you, but don't stare at them, just go along with it and la la la. Like that to me sounds very modern. That doesn't sound like an early 1960s attitude. Yes, that film was so important to her. And um, I'd like to share as well why it was so important to her. This goes all the way back to her stay in Boston when she went for a bit of a rest. Um, I'm sure you Mm -hmm. all know (laughs) the story that I'd like to share. The little girl. Um, Yes, yes. One of the things that got her through um, her several month stay was a daily visit to the children's hospital that was neighboring to Peter Bent Brigham Hospital. And there she met all kinds of different children um, who suffered from many different disabilities. And the thing that struck her most was how beautiful these children were. And she speaks about it. I have posted it on our channel in her own words. She speaks about this whole experience. And there was one little lady in particular that really reached out to her. Um, She was, I can't remember what was wrong with her, but she couldn't speak. She hadn't spoken um, in years uh, because her family had essentially, this is so sad, but her family had abandoned her at the hospital and she, um, she, she didn't talk. And so Judy would take time uh, and sit with her uh, for you know, sometimes a couple hours, then she would just talk to her. She wouldn't ask her anything. She wouldn't expect a response. She would just talk to her. She would talk to her about Liza. She would talk to her about all kinds of different things, being in the movies um, until one day it came time for her to leave. And Judy was finally ready to go back. And she went back to the children's hospital to say goodbye. And this child who hadn't said a single word in years just lost it and said, no, Judy, don't leave. And that suddenly nothing else mattered. It was, she, Judy did not care if she had to get on that train. She didn't care if she never made another picture in her life. She had done good with this little girl. She had made an impact on this little girl and she saved her. The little girl saved Judy and Judy saved the little girl. And that always stood out to her. And that was a huge reason why she did. A child is waiting because she just wanted everyone to know these kids, they are special. I love to hear her talk about that. Um, you know, when she made her audio tapes with Fred Finkelhoff in the late 1960s, uh, and she spoke about that particular moment. I love to hear her talk about that. I'm just flicking through one of these books, actually, and I've, actually, I've come across um, a quote talk of Judy talking about a child is waiting. Um, do you mind if I share it? Of course. So, of course. so these children are realists. They know what it is to be rejected because they have been rejected many times. These children want affection, yes, but most of all, they need to be accepted as human beings. They need to feel useful. People don't want to face such things. Human beings hate things that are mysterious to them. But I think shining that spotlight on such things can make people understand and want to help. What a Judy. <laughs> <laughs> what a Judy. But it was a child is waiting that first introduced me to people with what we call over in the UK people with learning disabilities. And so my clinical background is learning disabilities. I'm, actually, I'm a registered 
learning disabilities nurse. All thanks okay. really to that okay. film and that story. I like to think she played some kind of part in that. Even though we all know why we love her so much, it's a really hard thing to answer because all my life people have said to me, why do you like her so much? Or how did someone so young get into yeah. someone like her? Yeah. And even the other day, Stu, um, Stu my, my fiance, for anyone who doesn't know, he was talking to his mum about the podcast. <laughs> Apparently she said, um, so how does a nice girl like Sarah get into something like that? <laughs> I was like, what do you mean? <laughs> one, one, I'm not a nice girl. <laughs> what did you mean? He just—he's like, oh, she just meant, you know, what, you know, something from so long ago. Yeah, I um, I used to get it quite a lot, um, and I, I actually, funny enough, I really struggled to articulate it because I just Same. like her. <laughs> I, um, it's really hard. Um, I think one thing that was quite, I find you know as a as a gay man i always think that it's some people just assume that that's like such a cliche and do you know what the thing is it actually is a cliche but i liked her well before um you know i liked her when i was like 11 years old and i, I still don't like it because of that specific stereotype i'm sure some psychiatrist would probably be able to um make a better uh, opinion of why i do like judy garland i'm sure but it's interesting because people just always assume that's perhaps why you do like it because she is such a big part of the LGBTQ plus community. Um, but it is a difficult one to answer. I, I love all things old Hollywood, but I guess it's just personal taste, mm. right? Yeah. I think yeah, you just, you, you either get it or you don't with her. Mm. If someone doesn't get it, you can't really explain it. My parents were probably sick of the sight of Judy Garland growing up when I was younger. I mean, they I think my mum still says, oh, really? Because I just used to, it was on all the time when I was young. Me, mm-hmm. my, my brother and sister and my dad were like that. My mum encouraged it. But my dad, my dad doesn't like it. He says she can't sing. Sorry. My yeah. nan used to say, my nan was the same. My nan used to say she had a whiny, screechy voice. <laughs> Lies. Mm-hmm. Liza Minnelli, lies. <laughs> it was different yeah. for me growing up because my parents didn't encourage it at all. Um, because, you know, I, you know it, was, it was a little bit difficult, you know, in the early 2000s and the late 90s, you know, to be a, a, a boy that didn't quite fit the mould. The, the, you know, the archetype of what a boy should be. And, you know, my parents wanted, wanted that for me. And... Instead, I was into movie musicals and obsessing over this woman that died 21 years before I was even born. And they just didn't, they, they just didn't get it. But, and I, I couldn't even explain it. I still can't explain it. Mm. I, I can't, I, it's impossible. So when people, I, I can talk about it for hours, but when people ask me that question, why Judy, what does she mean to you? It's impossible for me to answer. Mm-hmm. It's absolutely Same. impossible. Yeah. Uh, I think at this stage, it just she just feels like one of my oldest friends because she's been there all the time through everything. Every time I've moved through, every time I've every new job, every breakup, every get together, you name it, she's she's my go-to comfort, and I definitely wouldn't have got through the first lockdown or even the second lockdown if it wasn't mm. for her, you know, just, you know, escaping into 
the body of work that she left for us and that she did it's 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 more of an emotional attachment it's it's very much a part of who i am you know i can't i can't separate myself from it it's weird to think that you you feel like you you mentioned that almost like knowing someone obviously we didn't know her um but it's just being so familiar with someone um it's 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 an odd thing really and i guess it's it's quite common for people who like any um actor actress musician whatever it may be um you, know, you can probably show me a picture and i could probably tell you pretty much where and when it was taken and what film and you know what year and you know it's um i like it though i think it's nice i i, I really enjoy that there's um there's someone that you can kind of really get into in, in that respect i don't feel like i know her though but i don't feel like i want to know her too much because not not just that i don't want to i've encountered a lot of people across the years who because they feel like they know her that they've got a sense of entitlement over her Mm -hmm. and that they own a piece of her yeah i'm very blessed as we all are with what she's given us and the legacy that she's left behind and she was generous enough to leave that i'm just grateful that I was given that from her. And, but it still belongs to her, her talents. The only thing that can speak for Judy Garland is Judy Garland. Judy Garland speaks for herself and her talent speaks for herself. She don't need anyone to take ownership of it. And that's why she's still strong today. Ben, are you just trying to make us cry on this? Yeah, I'm getting like emotional here. <laughs> That's about the third time you said something, and I'm like, but it's true. <laughs> Her character has been so dismantled and shattered. Whether it's been in a film, I won't talk too much about that. <laughs> whether in books, stage plays, they have portrayed the woman that we know and the woman that we love as a completely different person and her family her grandkids her great-grandkids her children are still alive have some respect just let just, just let the just let the poor woman rest in peace just stop trying to destroy her she did nothing to you mm. I think it's that that kind of mentality. It's like with you know another comparison is, is you know. Oh, I'm getting hot. <laughs> People assume that that persona and that personality almost like belongs to the public. It kind of takes away the thought that actually there's a real person. Oh, do you know she was a real person, and but she has a real family that's still around, and. Um, you know, people feel that they can just say and do whatever they want to do with that person. Um, I think, uh, you know, unfortunately, when you look at someone in comparison, like a Marilyn Monroe, they don't have the family or the estate behind us to defend that. So, yeah, it's uh, quite sad in that respect. But I do agree with Ben. She's another one, though, Marilyn. She's just been her... Everything that was about her has been so disproportionized that she's she is completely untouchable now. She's she is the definition of an enigma mm. and they've tried to do that with judy since she's died even it's even since before then since she was when she was alive and people didn't want to listen to her defend herself then but i also think now in the 
in the day where we've got a lot more understanding of mental health and addiction and the two associated, I kind of hope now that when people look at her and look at her later years, maybe she can be understood a bit more and people can have a bit more empathy towards her and know that she she tried till, till the very last day. She, she put the hours in, she put the effort in, and she never stopped. And, you know, and, and going back to another thing that we, I enjoy about her is her sense of optimism as well. She was always optimistic. She was never, even aside from, you know, the very human moments of feeling frustrated, angry, as she so rightfully should, she was never defeated. And I think the people who knew her and have studied her and watched her over the years know that. Yeah, and, and going yeah. back to her humour, you know, she, didn't she fit the same famous as to Lars, you know, give the public what they want and go home and have a hamburger. So, you know, <laughs> she knew that the image of uh, Judy Garland as such is, is partly an enigma anyway. Yeah. And the tragic, this tragic enigma, I mean, it feeds into like why I've, I've really detached myself from the Wizard of Oz and anything over the rainbow related because, oh, this awful, saccharine, cringeworthy. Um, she spent her whole life trying to get over the rainbow. Oh, bore <laughs> off. <laughs> isn't, it, isn't it boring? To quote, um, I love that quote from Judy. Where she I've got rainbows up, rainbows up my ass. <laughs> <laughs> but going back to, to YouTube, we've like we were talking the other week with these ridiculous things out there about us, specifically the Wizards of Oz. Um, do you watch? Are you, are you familiar with Cracked? Delicious, by the way. I've seen them all. They, um, their latest one is that she was addicted to meth and amphetamines. And then, like, we went on to, like... We did. Defend her. And they were like, yeah, well, well you know, meth wasn't an amphetamine. She was on amphetamines. And we were like, oh, right, just stop there. And also, <laughs> I don't want to hear it. The filming of The Wizard of Oz, it's, I mean, look, people always remember The Wizard of Oz, right, because of, for obvious reasons. But, you know, a lot of the tr troubles, if there were troubles, they weren't really happening on that set, from what I'm aware of. You know? No. So, exactly. You know, she was so... Great opportunity to be in that film. So it's not like she was dragging her heels, kicking and screaming, you know? She wanted to be involved. Yeah, she was so happy. Um, it, all I could say that she, you know, when they'd watch it with her, they could tell she she loved making it. She'd tell them funny stories. But some of the funny stories she tells, these have been, like, elaborated now into, like, the munchkins abused her or, you know, the fellas tried to upstage her and, the, and they hated her and she hated them when we know that that's not true. Just from some of the funny stories she told. I think uh, it, it's quite easy, isn't it, to create myths and people want the drama and actually I, I don't really think she was causing I mean, it'd be interesting to see, did she even take any sick days from that set? Probably not. Um, no. You know, one. So. One. I, I, I think there was one period of sickness. I, isn't that when she crashed a car? Well, I would love about... fine Santee Hardy when she oh, crashed a car. I knew it was and around she the same time. Still, uh, she had a I think she does have... Worked. 
Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I think she had a cold at some point during that's what was in my head was something about a cold or something yeah yeah so you know i think it's interesting when people have this misconception that you know it, it all stems back from the wizard of oz and actually not it's not that black and white literally um you know any problems would have been almost 10 years later um and that would have come after a period of overwork and in a very very different um environment really yeah mm-hmm. i know we're kind of wrapping up shortly but there's just two judy things i just will throw in there i just uh, two things i absolutely love about her is from her films the ability her ability for the long takes the fact that uh, atchison to be consent they her whole almost her whole piece is is all one continuous shot same in um madame crematon with Ziegfeld follies and the other little teeny tiny thing she does and she does it on television a load and i assume she did it in concert that i just chuckle for some reason every time i see it when she goes for a high note and she goes like that. <laughs> Watch her. She like points up to the high note. I know. I, 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 that's all I'm seeing now is her holding the mic going like this. She does. <laughs> it's either she does that yeah. or she messes her hair. Yeah. 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 I've seen rehearsal footage as well when she hits the high note and then she goes like that. Yeah. <laughs> like, can I do that on the show? <laughs> One more thing I wanted to share. Um, I think one of the main reasons I love her so much, and I, I know this sounds a little strange, but it's all of her little idiosyncrasies, her little quirks that just make her who she is. Who she is when she gets home and takes off Judy Garland and she's just her. I love that she, um, and this was in the Sid book, that she would lay in bed and sketch landscapes to calm herself, how she collected Chinese scarves, how she loved um, hamburgers with peanut butter. Like, what a weirdo. But it's, it's just, <laughs> it's just her. it just makes her her and how she could play the piano. But it was a talent that she just kept to herself and she only let those who are closest to her in on that so that she could keep it for herself. I love that she would collect costumes from her films and wear the jewelry and wear the dresses out for personal use. And it's all these little things that just make her Francis Gum (laughs) that I love. And of course, you know, she is a brilliant actress and she's a brilliant, brilliant singer and and a brilliant storyteller. But it's those little idiosyncrasies that stand out to me. I don't know why. <laughs> the disaster book, you know, when she had that book. Of oh, yeah. If I'm having a bad day, I just pick it up and open that and think it's really not that bad. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. Didn't she also have a ye old bitch book too? Yes. 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 I just, I can't help but picture mean girls anytime I read that. Yeah. <laughs> She invented the burn book. Yeah, I'm yeah. just imagining her sitting at the MGM commissary, you know, having lunch. She's like, um, on Wednesdays we wear gingham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just before we, we kind of sign off, um, my son, he's five years old and he absolutely loves Judy Garland. And um, he would like to share a couple of things if it's okay if I bring him on yeah. for <laughs> Oh my God. Um, James is too shy. He doesn't. He. I just chased him all around the house. He's oh. laughing. Oh. He doesn't want to go oh. to watch. 
after all that he's been after me to come on the podcast with us but um I guess I will share what he wanted to share um one of the things he loves about uh, her of course because of the Wizard of Oz um but also Judy was actually the inspiration for uh, Mary Marvel, the comic book hero that eventually came in to be Captain Marvel. Um, And James is obsessed with superhero movies and he's obsessed with The Wizard of Oz. And when we heard that little tidbit, I did have a picture as well of the original um, Mary Marvel. And it is Judy. (laughs) Um, I did not know this. The creator took inspiration for both her personality and her looks uh, for that for that comic book superhero. Oh, what a so Judy! That, what a Judy! I often wondered if she knew. I mean, she must have known about that because they would have. I'm assuming would have. That's it. Yes. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. Anyways, I can literally. Yeah, that's very like early forties Judy. Oh, he might be coming. Oh, no, he's not coming. Um, so I think they threw it off. I will stop, but I'm like, that is, I'm, that's crazy. <laughs> there he is. There he is. <laughs> but they have had to have paid artistic license for that. Probably not in those days. They didn't even get royalties. No. Imagine the money she's made nowadays. Yeah. I love her to talk. I love it when she says, well, where's the money on Jack Parr in 67? Mm. And she's, and she said that she thinks the munchkins get residuals. <laughs> but anyway, there you go. You learn something new every day. <laughs> and when we found that out, um, we were pretty, we were pretty excited about oh, that. <laughs> Almost done. Do you want to say something? <laughs> no. Okay. <laughs> um. Anyway, yeah. There you go. That's my that's my little thing. Anything else you guys want to add? No, I just think thank you very much for having us on, really. It's, um, you know, I, I, well, I can't speak for Ben, but I've loved it. It's great to um, chat with people who have the same interests. And, yeah, I mean, really well done, guys, as well, because it's, it's, uh, I saw the numbers today that you posted. So it is uh, taking off quite nicely. Thank you for doing it. Thank you for coming on. No, thank you for, no, thank, you for thank you for doing this and being, you know, this kind of voice, you know, that we all want, you know, especially our, our generation of Judy Garland fans, that we we want the next generation to hear. We don't want them to rely on all these other sources that have come out, like the film and other tidbits and things like that. Because other, you know, she's being introduced to younger generations, especially after she appeared on Drag Race. Yes. Yeah. And, you know, people, I, I, Twitter was exploding that day, that evening. Like, and people were like commenting things like, I never knew this about Judy Garland. Oh my God, I've just, I've got a newfound love for Judy Garland after all of this. So people are going and looking out for things. And, you know, we're in the age of podcasts now. So yeah, thank you. Thank you for doing it. And I've loved it. And to echo Paul, I've loved it as well. <laughs> no, I wasn't exactly going to say, I say, no, hated it. <laughs> <laughs> Don't ask Thank me you to do it again. too for your support. <laughs> you go off, won't you? I go, I'm not doing that again. No, thank you too for your thank you too for your support as well. No, our pleasure. Yeah. Well, I think we can. Uh, um, after all, all those thank yous, I think the one person we need to thank the most right now is Judy Garland. Thank you, Judy, for bringing all of us together. We obviously would not be doing this without her. So, thank you, Judy. Thank you, everyone. 
Thanks, Thank everyone. you. Thanks, everyone. <laughs> Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Miss Garland. Miss Show Business. Thank you. <laughs>